0: Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah.
1: Hi.
0: And today we're going to be looking at the Aboleth. Okay, so the Aboleth had its first appearance in the tournament-derived module I-1, Dwellers of the Forbidden City by David Cook. It deals with the player party exploring a foreboding jungle city populated by three factions. The factions are made up of one which is T Bugbears and Tasloy, two which is Mongrelman, and three which is Bullywugs. The Aboleth in this module guards the entrance to the Forbidden City and is worshipped as a, a god by a tribe of mongrelmen. It has an arrangement with the 1T of the module where the mongrel men provide life sacrifices to it once a month for it to enslave. So, its first actual sort of monster manual appearance was in the AD&D First edition Monster Manual 2. So I can see you've got that there, love. So why don't you mm-hmm. crack that open and tell us what it says about the Abolive from there. So, uh,
1: we've got a picture where it looks something between a slug and an octopus with a big sort of fishtail on the back.
0: Yeah, and it's typical of that sort of black and white, like, D&D style of artwork from mm-hmm. the era, isn't it? it?
1: Tells us that it lives in underground lakes and caves.
0: Mm-hmm. that it's intelligent and that it hates land-going life that struck me is a little bit weird when I was looking through it earlier because it also says that like, they enslave people and they take slaves mm-hmm. and that they don't attack land-going life sort of like straight away which seems at odds with the whole like we mm-hmm. hate land-going air-breathing mammals sort of vibe That it's, it's a little bit inconsistent is I suppose what I'm saying
1: so we get description of it that it has a fish-like body, large flute-like tail, which propels it through the water. It's blue-green, mottled grey, with a pinkish tan belly. It's got three long slit-like purple eyes in the centre of its head, one above the other. Yeah. It's got four long tentacles on top of its head and a big mouth on the underside like a catfish
0: yeah pretty much yeah it's, it's obviously like combining elements from different like aquatic sort of style creatures mm-hmm. like, like you were saying you've got the vaguely octopus like tentacles there's like a bit of the fluke in there and like you say the catfish sort of vibe so
1: it uses the tentacles to attack yeah if you're struck by the tentacles you have to save versus spells or basically your skin melts off which you can fix with a cure disease or cure serious wounds. It's super intelligent, and it can create realistic illusions with audible and vis- with audible and visual components. If it concentrates and does nothing else, so it can use that to enslave creatures uh, up to three times a day. A creature within 30 feet gets a save versus spell or is basically convinced to serve the Aboleth.
0: Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's the illusions it directly used to use that. I think that's like a a separate ability. I think it Mm -hmm. uses the illusions to, like, sort of, like, cajole people, you know, like, give them the illusion, like, oh, I can make whatever you desire, like, come true. Yeah.
1: Effectively. Uh, This can be broken by remove curse or dispel magic. Standard. In the water, it can secrete a cloud of mucus at a mm. distance to one foot all around its body lovely any creature drawn into it must save versus poison or inhale the stuff at which point you are unable to breathe air but can now breathe water as per potion of water breathing but I think that's only if you are also
0: its slave otherwise you're just gonna suffocate in the goo see now I don't think I don't think it can only use it on you if you're it, it's slave but I believe if I remember correctly later on in the editions it makes a bit more of that by saying that it does use it on it's slaves so they can serve it more effectively yeah, and stuff it's, like it's that it it's slaves will have the ability to breathe water yeah but there's nothing there that says it can only use it on it's slaves I mean to be fair as a combat tactic if you've got like some adventurers like giving you jip and you're sort of like shazam you can now no longer breathe air have fun mm-hmm. with that Mhm. but I think it's open to interpretation yep.
1: and then it says at the end that there are reports of huge underwater cities built by the Aboleths and those they enslaved but these reports along with stories of vast stores of knowledge have never been proven so again early D&D leaving you quite a
0: lot of open yeah, there's a lot of wiggle room. To isn't play there? With
1: the, yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is one of the things I do like about the early monster manuals. They they've not really tried to like lock everything down. There's there's a lot for you to build off. And I think that's obvious if you look at later editions as we'll do in a second, where they're obviously building in and filling in those blank spaces left by the earlier editions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the first-ed Monster Manual 2. The next time it appears is in the second-ed Monster Manual. The stats are pretty much the same, save that the Aboleth now seems to have been reworked to be less a magical creature and more like a psionic-based mm-hmm. creature, judging by the fact that they provide stats for like psionic points, mental attack modes, stuff like yeah. that.
1: I noticed that this version as well goes into quite a lot of detail about it as a sort of a marine animal.
0: Yes, and yeah. How its like breeding cycle works and things. Yeah, and as we've said with many previous episodes, the, this tends to follow this, the familiar pattern in sort of the Second End monster where they filled things out a bit more because everything mm-hmm. has like its own page. Um I've got to admit I'm not massively familiar with the Second Ed psionic rules, to be honest. I just sort of recognise the fact that it's now psionic. Um in terms of like the description Pretty much the same as the first Ed Monster Manual too, but we get some additional information like the fact that Abolith slime apparently smells like rancid grease, just in case you need that level of detail, and that their broods consist of one parent and three offspring. Abalith have both female and male sex organs, reproducing by laying eggs, which take about five years to hatch and then a further 10 for the young abolith to mature. And while they're maturing, the young abolith are like 100% loyal to their parent, and then they just mutually go their separate ways. There's none of this like backstabbing or anything. We're told that they're supposed to be ancient, and they possess great knowledge, and each young abolith is born with the knowledge of its parent. Effectively meaning that these creatures could have memories stretching back to the dawn of time, since that's passed on with each abolith. In terms of the artwork, it looks a little bit more fish-like in this version to me. Mm-hmm. We actually get to see like the muted sort of purples and mauves and blues on it. It's got a fish tail rather than a fluke. Yeah, definitely. But we still get the like the sort of the horizontal sort of like banded eyes, like three mm-hmm. of them sat above each other. And I've got it. Mean, this is the first image I saw of an Aboleth and was one of the first things I noticed when I first got my second M monster manual. And it's the sort of image I tend to think of when I think of an Aboleth. So let's move on to version 3 3.5. Now, save for the addition of some skills and feats, which is obviously bound to occur because the Mm -hmm. systems are quite different. The stats are pretty much the same. Although the damage output of the tentacle attacks has been beefed up to 1d6 plus 8 hit points, the psionics of the previous edition are gone, replacing them with more sort of magic-based equivalents again. Although the spell-like abilities are described as being psionic in nature. They're described as hating non-aquatic creatures again, rather like you said earlier, and attempt to destroy them on sight, despite being vastly intelligent. And as we said earlier, this seems a little bit at odds with the whole, like, taking slaves and, like, using agents and manipulating people. But it's a, it's a little inconsistency. It's nothing you can't tweak yourself. We're told in the third Ed Monster Manual, the Abilith now also retain not only the memories of their parents but also of any creatures they consume, making them, in my opinion, like vastly more dangerous. Because let's face it, if you can get hold of like an agent of an enemy or something who's got some info and eat them for all intents and purposes, and you're suddenly like, Shazam, I've got all that information, it's very easy for you to like get the lowdown on something. Mm-hmm. They can also become like potent wizards. We also get a bit more information on their tentacle attack, as you discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, in this version of it, if you're struck by a tentacle, you undergo, again, out of this terrible transformation. You have to make a fortitude, say, where you start transforming over the next D4 plus one minutes. Your skin doesn't melt, but it gradually becomes a clear, slimy membrane. So, mm-hmm. echoing back to like the mucus that the Aboleth uses. A transformed creature must remain moistened with cool, fresh water Or they will take 1d12 points of damage every 10 minutes that they're sort of drying out effectively. Remove disease, cast before it's complete, can restore the afflicted creature. Afterwards, however, only a heal or a mass heal spell can reverse it. So again, you could use this on your slaves to make sure they're not going to betray you. But again, it could also be a very dangerous thing. I mean... Even if you don't make it so people can breathe water, which they can still do, if you hit someone like that and the adventurers are like, oh, oh we're taking a beating, we're going to run for it. All right, you run for it, but over the next D4 minutes, you run away from the water. Suddenly you start finding yourself drying out. If you haven't got any of these healing spells, what's your choice? Oh, go back to the water where the abolith is. Mm. And the abolith knows it's hit you with that, so it's just going to stay there in the water and be like, yeah, they'll be back. so so, (laughs) that sounds quite deadly to me to be perfectly honest and what's your other choice if you haven't got access to those curing spells stay away slowly dry out and take d12 damage around and I mean all this is from a creature that doesn't have like the world's highest sort of like challenge rating I mean it's it's only like a challenge rating 7 creature but it seems pretty deadly to me Anyway, we get a little bit more detail in a book called Lords of Madness, the Book of Aberrations. It's a third-ed book that expanded the societal information on certain aberrations, so including mind flayers and Beholders, and the Aberliths also got their own chapter in the book. In this book we're told the Aberliths do not have a creation mythos like other races, because they believe themselves to be the original primal race that existed before everything else. They know this because, as we've said previously, their memories absorbed from their parents and their parents before them, etc., stretches back to these ancient times and is quite clear on the subject. We get a detailed breakdown of abolith anatomy, mixing traits from fish, various boneless sea creatures, squids, flukes, etc. The tentacles contain ducts that produce the slime they spread in the water around them whilst their skin is actually a thick network of membranes that is semi-solid, but capable of stretching and distorting to an alarming degree. So again, echoing the transformation that takes place on anyone they hit with their tentacles. We're told that when Aboleth dry out, they don't actually die. They just enter a state of suspended animation until there's like sufficient moisture to rehydrate them. And apparently, although they're pretty much defenceless while they're in this state... As long as they're not harmed, they can just remain in that state indefinitely until water's introduced to them. They've got access to a vast racial memory that stretches back countless eons. The sheer scope of such knowledge would be enough to drive many insane were they able to make mental contact with such a creature. They're functionally immortal and continue growing throughout their lives, although the growth slows to a crawl once they reach 40 feet in length. The book also gives us an overview of their religion in inverted commerce. They know themselves to have been created by one of the elder evils who they call the Blood Queen, or they don't really worship her like a god or believe she created them for any purpose. They just see it as like a sort of a byproduct or like a cosmic accident. But in a way they're sort of freed up by this because they're like, oh, we don't have to worry about what our founder thinks of us. That that's not really a thing. We can just get on with doing our own thing. They're supposed to have once ruled a primal empire that was cast down by some great disaster, and now they're sort of slowly and methodically trying to like claw their way back up to the top of the pile and last of all in the third ed, we get the expanded psionics handbook now with the introduction of psionics some creatures that previously used magic rules to represent psionic abilities like the abilene basically get a specific set of like abilities that you can sort of swap in Instead mm-hmm. of the magic. The abolith were no exception, gaining a small flotilla of psionic abilities, special attacks, feats, and stuff like that, that could be used to portray the mind-bending powers of these creatures in a different way. And to my money, having looked at them, boosted up like the, the sort of power level of these creatures. Last of all, in terms of how it looks in the third ed monster manual, it looks a bit sort of like muddy and sort of which I know is probably quite appropriate for an abolith, but It doesn't, it still looks fish-like, but...
1: Yeah, this particular image, it's a lot more, almost crocodilian.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got a
1: prehistoric vibe to it, whereas the uh, previous one in the second ed book looks almost like a sort of cross between, say, um, a better fighting fish and a big catfish.
0: Yeah, this has definitely got more of that sort of prehistoric sort of vibe to it, which I don't know. I'm I'm not as keen on this picture to be honest. There's nothing particularly wrong with it. I I, I don't know. It just doesn't look as fearsome to me, to be perfectly honest.
1: He's not going to be the prettiest
0: fishy in the fish tank, is he? No, it's (laughs) it's definitely not. I mean, it to me, it's like the. The other creatures look more like recognisable creatures that I would have thought, like, oh, that could be intelligent. Whereas this picture, it doesn't look enough like a recognisable creature that I'm like, oh, yeah, and I recognise it. But also it doesn't look as horrific enough to be like, oh, it's some ancient elder thing that mm-hmm. man was not meant to understand. I mean, I can see they've tried to take the basic fish body and they've put some extra, like, vents and plates and stuff on it to try and make it look a bit weird. But... I I don't know, it just just doesn't really do anything for me, I'm not going (laughs) to lie. So, next we're going to move on to the 4th edition Monster Manual. Let me just crack this bad boy out, there we go. Now, for the stats, as with a lot of creatures in 4th edition, the Avalis split into a number of variant stat blocks, all of which are challenge rating 17, but they occupy different roles on the battlefield. So we've got a brute, artillery slash leader, an elite controller slash leader. The Abolith Lasher is a straight-up combat brute, attacks with tentacles, it gains an extra tentacle attack against any creature it has advantage against. Terrain around it also counts as difficult because of a mucus cloud. The Abolith Slime Mage has all the same abilities, with the exception of the combat advantage. It can dominate creatures, hurl mind-fogging slime orbs, and cause psychically damaging slime bursts. And finally, we have the Abolith Overseer, which combines the abilities of the two previous variants, and in addition, it can dominate people permanently, enslaving them to its will until the abolith is slain. It can also bestow temporary invisibility on its allies. Now, in, in terms of like the background and stuff like that, in 4th edition D&D, most aberrations, mind flayers, beholders and the like, come from what's called the Far Realm, which is basically the gribbly Lovecraftian plane where eldritch horrors and slimy tentacled beasts dwell. The aboliths, no exception. In the mortal plane, they mostly swim through a lot of underground lakes in the Underdark and stuff like that. They communicate with each other via telepathy and enslaving humanoids transforming them into slime-covered servants known as abolith servitors and we get a little stat block for them as well Mm -hmm. in terms of the artwork it shows the bulbous form of an abolith rising from the surface of a lake flanked on either side by two grotesque looking servitors the colour scheme is muted blues, browns, and greys, save for the three bright orange sensory organs that run in a vertical line down the front of its face. Although they look more recognisably like eyes in this than like the sort of the slit mm-hmm. you got in the previous version. I've got, I, quite, I quite like this artwork, to be honest. There's a definite sort of creature from the Black Lagoon sort of yeah, vibe. Yeah, it's, to it's it. got that Dagon sort of Cthulhu vibe to it, you know, but. but it's maintained that while being like the picture itself is fairly understated and i think although the the second ed version is like the one i think of when i think of abilus this is probably my favorite depiction of it because if you are trying to portray it as like this ancient from the land before time like evil then this picture's got it as far as i'm concerned but it's not ridiculously over the top and dramatic it's just like there's the creature. There's a couple of its servitors. It's rising up out of the lake. It looks. It still looks like a recognisable creature, but it's got enough of that sort of
1: mm-hmm.
0: difference to it where it doesn't just look like oh, it's a fish with like three eyes. But it doesn't just look like some like random bit of like floating like wood that they've like stuck fins on like the the third head version. Sorry, third head art fans, but the abalith third head version artwork is pants. So that's pretty much it for fourth head. do You want to crack open the uh, the fifth ed. Monster Manual and tell us what what we do doing there? I love a cheeky drag of my vape while you doing that.
1: <clears throat> so, a very different creature physically in
0: the artwork. Yeah, def- it's definitely got more of a sort of fluke or sort of like leech or lamprey vibe, hasn't it? I mean, look at the mouth. I was
1: thinking a lot more octopus, but yeah, very lamprey on the mouth. Uh, with rows of teeth like a shark yeah. it has still got the three eyes as described previously uh,
0: and yeah, lots don't... of tentacles i was gonna say the eyes don't really stand out in this piece they're quite dark aren't they mm-hmm. like dark gray almost black whereas they are really sort of apart from in the black and white artwork they've really sort of like they've been like bright orange or like reddy sort of color to make them stand out Mm-hmm. So, so what do we get in terms of like stats for the edition So, fifth ed.
1: stat block. We've got pretty much the same powers, but translated into fifth ed. It's amphibious. It's got the mucus cloud.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to say one thing I did notice about the mucus cloud when I was reading through it is that. Although it causes, it has pretty much the same effects as previous. It's now counted as a disease, and you only become diseased for like one d four hours. So it's not like a sort of yeah, shazam—you can only breathe water. Reduced. Yeah, I mean it's still unpleasant. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly like the sort of game change that it was previously. Yeah, uh, it's
1: got probing telepathy where it can get information from you. It's got the tentacle attacks, the tail attack and the enslave attack, which, again, uh, within 30 feet, three times a day. This time you've got to succeed DC 14 on a wisdom saving throw.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things is... uh in this version, the abolith can instantly learn a creature's greatest desire if it can see them and communicate with them telepathically, so you don't even have to like eat someone 's brain to like get their information now you can just look at them, but that enslave ability is like still quite nasty i mean if you get charmed by it, it lasts until the abolith dies or you move to a different plane but they've put in like a cheeky little thing where you can still potentially get out of it so like if you're charmed it's permanent but if you get damaged you get to effectively like remake the save mm-hmm. so you could potentially just like subdue or damage like beat your friend around the chops or whatever until he snapped out of it or you can make like remake the save like once every 24 hours which is obviously an attempt to say basically like if you get your character dominated by an aboleth yeah okay it's going to be unpleasant but like that's mm-hmm. not it for your character necessarily
1: mm-hmm. so it also gets three legendary actions uh, one being a detect perception check mm-hmm. one being the tail swipe and one being psychic draining which costs it two actions to take 3d6 si- so one creature charmed by it
0: takes 3d6 psychic damage and the Aboleth regains equal hit points. Yeah, it's like you're draining the life force out of your servants as like a a typical baddie boss monster, like pull the life force out of your servants to heal yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. On the next page we've got another little bit of artwork with a nice pencil sketch, and a quote above it, which is very Cthulhu. Could it be that the Aboleths are older than the gods? (gasps) That before the Divine One came that before the Divine Ones came to be, such horrors shaped the multiverse. Now there's
0: a chilling thought. And that is attributed to Vakia Zena, Githzerai philosopher and author of The Far Realm, Real Yet Unreal, available in all good fictional bookstores. Which is it's a bit weird actually, so I'm mentioning that quote because I like, The the rest of the background to me seem to suggest that they don't come from the far realms. They that well (laughs) allow me. Go on then, if you will.
1: Before the coming of the gods, aboleths lurked in primordial oceans and underground lakes. They reached out with their minds and seized control of the burgeoning life forms of the mortal realm, making those creatures their slaves. The dominance made them like gods. Then the true gods appeared, smashing the Aboliths empire and freeing their slaves. The Abaliths have never forgotten. See, this is something that I do quite like about Fifth Ed.
0: We've got these like proper hammy little descriptions. Yeah, that was something like straight out of like a Hammer film, but um, it's also quite interesting as well because again, it's, there's a bit of ambiguity there where. You could say, yeah, they're from the far realm, you know. They came from the far realm, like, back in the dawn of time to the mortal realms. But you could also say, oh, no, they've, they've always been here. They're just some, like, weird fluke of evolution or whatever. So I quite like that. Mm-hm. So it does go on to detail a couple more
1: bits that might change your mind on that. Go on, then. So they've got flawless memories, pass on their knowledge and experience as previously. Oh. Uh, there dwell in watery environments including ocean abysses and the elemental plane of water in these domains Aboleths are like gods and goes on to detail a bit more of their telepathic power and how they use it to find out what you want, Yeah. promise it to you and then trick you into believing that you're actually getting oh, it. Oh with
0: the illusions and that
1: yeah uh, and then it explains how they never actually die. That if their body's destroyed, their spirit returns to the elemental plane of water and a new body coalesces for it over days or months.
0: Oh, so, so they are actually immortal, effectively, in this.
1: Mhm.
0: I mean, that's not even some, like, lich you've got to find. It's fire yep. attribute BS. That's, like, it's literally immortal. Uh, and ultimately they want to overthrow
1: the gods and regain control of the world presumably all the various different realms and that they've got untold eons to plot and prepare for this we've then got a nice chunky bit about their layers
0: yeah there's like extra actions it can do while it's in its lair mm-hmm. and one of the cool things I like in 5th edition is you get like the regional effects where like when the, like a big bad monster layers in a place like things start to happen in the local area to sort of hint at its presence which I quite like so for example in this one we've
1: got the uh, underground surfaces within a mile of the layer are slimy and wet and counts not difficult terrain water sources are supernaturally fouled within a mile of the area and within a mile of the area it can create an illusory image of itself So you could literally have, like, a giant fish monster romping through a village because its lair's, like, half a mile away underground.
0: Well, yeah, but Uh, it'd um, be limited by the fact it's illusory. It couldn't really
1: damage anything. Yeah, I I don't know. A giant fish monster romping down the road would probably upset quite a
0: lot of people, regardless of how much like how tangible it is i mean if you if you wanted to like put the frighteners on somebody definitely but also as well if you've got like this these distant agents who are like working for you Mm -hmm. you don't even need to put yourself in danger you just manifest this illusion and like talk to them that's like classic boss monster stuff that is i'm nice and safe in my underground cavern and i send my illusions to my agents to tell them what to do so we're we going to talk about Dagon. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go in day, into Dagon specifically. I mean, obviously, as anyone who's listening to this will probably have worked out by now, Aboliths have got that whole like Cthulhu esque sort of like horror of the deep vibe going on, just sort of seen through a D&D lens. But I mean, as I've said a couple of times in this episode so far, I think they do make ideal boss monsters. Because. Mm-hmm. They're not massively difficult to kill in terms of like challenge rating, but they've got a, they've got networks of agents and servants that you'd have to get through first. They've got all the illusions and the cunning tricks, and then if you do somehow like manage to get a bead on this aboleth and you manage to kill it, it's always got the "I'll get you next time" gadget, and it's off to like the plane of water and it will reform after a bit. So, in I've often talked about this when I'm running like Call of Cthulhu games. Like, if you're playing the Call of Cthulhu game, you are never going to beat Cthulhu.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: not going to happen. And I know some people are like very put off by that. But the fact is, yeah, okay, you can't beat Cthulhu. But this like little cult of people who like worships Cthulhu, you can beat them, mm-hmm. and thus you can like sort of throw a spanner in the works. Of, like the Elder Gods plans, the Abaliss strikes me as being very similar, especially in Fifth Ed, where like you aren't going to kill it. Because it's going to yoink its soul, its soul off to the elemental plane of water and reform, but that can take a lot of time. And in the meantime, you can be like dismantling its network of agents and spies and whatnot. So although you can, it, it seems like a it's tailor made to be like a sort of boss buddy to me. You know, you fight your way through its agents, you eventually defeat it, and then lo and behold, it's going to turn up later on when you think it's dead and come back and try and seek vengeance against the player characters. I mean, also, obviously, in a horror scenario, you can use it. I mean, it's playing on all those sort of fears of, like, slimy, like, boneless tentacle creatures in the same way that, like, the Cthulhu Mythos does. You know, I mean, there's... A lot of people are, like, scared of, like, deep water and stuff like that, because you don't know what's lurking under there. And the abolith to me, seems like it's tailor-made, To sort of play on those fears. And it's also an element that most player characters aren't going to be terribly proficient in. I mean, think D&D, like a fighter. You think like the warrior in like heavy armour, like a big sword. Well, if you get dragged under a lake by an Aboleth, even if you can somehow miraculously breathe water, you've sucked on that sweet, sweet mucus, then you're still going to be at a disadvantage... because you're not used to fighting underwater... your armour's not going to help you... you're going to have difficulty with your weapons... so it's that... it's that sort of fear of like... a creature that's... similar to stuff we understand... but it's different... can't be killed... like permanently... and it lives in this environment... that's completely sort of alien... to most people... so I think if you combine all those together... You can it can do dual roles. We can have it as the boss monster, like I said, or you can have it as like the sort of Cthuloid horror from Beyond the Stars, like from before the dawn of time. And I, I think that could make them quite difficult to play, to be honest. Because if you're a GM and you've got this creature as like got this faultless memory stretching back to the dawn of time, how do you play that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like I mean some. I mean, it's difficult enough sometimes to get into the mindset of like an elf or something that's a hundred years old. These creatures are supposed to have been around before the gods, and they can. And re- oh, no, all right, it's probably not the same creature, but they have the memories stretching back to that unbroken time, and yet somehow they still. You still have to present them with understandable motivations that are going to cause them to come into conflict with the PCs. Which is, I think, one of the reasons I like the fact they've given them that whole, like, we used to rule the world and we will have it back. Because that's, like, a classic sort of bad guy thing, isn't it, you know? It really is. So, I, I think if, if I was going to advise GMs attempting to, like, use an Abolive, I'd advise them to probably focus on that and then sort of spiral out from there with, like, having all its plans somehow related to, like taking control of an area that it thinks will be useful for establishing its new empire maybe recovering some remnants of like the original abilith empire i mean hell if you wanted to put a twist on it what if the pcs get hired by the abilith without knowing it (laughs) it can create illusions up to a mile away so what if you're you're hired by some portly merchant let's say and he's like oh i've I've got a client who's like interested in antiques Oh, yeah, we found this like treasure site, you know, typical adventure setup. But um, the twist could be either the merchant's been hired by the Abolith, or if you're not at physical contact with it, perhaps the merchant was the Abolith. I mean, mm-hmm. it could easily be like a, an illusionary projection. Then you could perhaps have what if the players stumble across, like, whatever they find, whatever the item is they're after, they're suddenly like, oh, wh- why would a merchant be like, after this? That doesn't make sense then maybe you can have a bit of a mystery where it leads on to them trying to unravel who this merchant is. Maybe they try and track down some of his associates, and they find out, effectively, he's a ghost. Like, he doesn't exist. So when they meet up to him next time, maybe they try and grab hold of him. Oh, you go straight through him. He's an illusion. But then who's, like, controlling the illusion? And you, and you could go into a whole big mystery plot of trying to find out who the actual bad guy is... Mm-hmm. Then you just have the abalith like come out as the big reveal I, I, out of the water at the end.
1: Yeah, <laughs> after all that sort of convoluted political machinations, would it not be a
0: bit disappointing to find out if it's a big catfish at the end? I think it depends how you play it. I mean, it, yeah, if you, if you get to the end and basically like a big fish flops out of the water <laughs> and you just beat it with broadswords, yeah, that's going to be well disappointing as you're rightly saying, look. However. If you if you get to the end of your like your quest and you find out that like you've unravelled all these Machiavellian machinations, you, you've tracked this thing down to its lair, and you find out there's this whole like subterranean cult of like these these mucus dripping servants, like worshipping this like ancient creature with all this forgotten knowledge. That could be quite cool.
1: Yeah,
0: this is what I was going to say. What I would do
1: would be concentrate on the cult leader.
0: Yes. Rather than
1: on the monster and have him communicate the monster's wishes as best he can.
0: So give like a human face to the organisation.
1: To allow the player characters to have someone to interact with. Yeah, that's a good point. And then when they realise that he's worshipping this great big fish monster... That way you've still got that step removed from it where it remains sort of mysterious and creepy. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and then they have to, right to like, go and make their preparations to go after it underwater. Hmm. And however you're going to do that, there's probably about a 100 ways oh, yeah, to yeah. be able to survive underwater in d
0: for long enough to fight a creature oh, like yeah. this. I'll I tell you what could be interesting, though. What if, like the reason you get rumbled onto the fact there's like an aboleth going on? Because as per fifth edition, and obviously we're mixing and matching the rules here in our example, mm. but you know take what you want from what edition you like. In in fifth edition, if you're like one of its servitors, you're enslaved permanently. But if you like, if you get injured, you can retest the save, or every day you can try and retest the save. And obviously if you succeed, you've broke the control over you. What if they're rumbled onto it by the fact that and one of its servitors it was sending out to like hire someone to uh to like get this artifact. What if on the way to meet the player characters he's like hit by a cart or like he takes damage in some way, or like maybe there's a brawl and he gets punched and it breaks like the abolith's control over him because he makes his save, but he'd still know what the abolith had sent him there to do. So if you wanted to like make it a bit less of a mystery and more a straight-up thing. You could then have this, like, now freed servant, maybe he's, like, dying because he's, like, not got enough water and he's, like, all mucusy skinned and horrible,
1: Mm. but
0: maybe, like, with his last gasp, if you want to go, like, proper stereotypical and have him, like, stagger into the tavern and, like, fall across the table as he's dying and be like, I have a quest for you! And obviously, I'm just sort of joking, you don't have to go that stereotypical, but you could still potentially have the Avalith's agent sort of pass on this information in some way to the player characters if you wanted more of a straightforward sort of Dungeon Crawl, Find the Underground, Cult, Defeat the Bad Guy. And you could still maintain, though, the original setup and those sort of trappings. And also, to be honest, I think if you would got, like, if you've got, like, a module that's any sort of Innsmouth or, like, Cthulhu mm-hmm. vibe from like maybe a different system but you wanted to somehow like squeeze and flex into D&D but you're like oh I don't have the stats for like Cthulhu or Dagon or whatever then you could easily use Abalith in the way of like whatever sort of Cthulhuoid horror would typically be in the game and I think that's a handy thing you can do for a lot of um, a lot of sort of non D&D adventures if you want to bring them into d and I mean you'll need to do a little bit of rejigging but there's a lot of because d d has been around for so long. Whatever creature is in the mod, the non D&D module you're running, there's going to be some creature that's like a bit like it in D&D, which you can then use because you've got the stats for the aboleth. All right, yeah, okay. It says it's like a lesser spawn of Cthulhu in the uh, the book you you're running. I've got the, I've got the stats for that in D&D. I've got the stats for an aboleth. Right, boom, slide the aboleth in, leaving a bit of a mucousy trail behind it. Happy days. So, uh, I think it's useful potentially, as we've said, and you can also use it to sort of like bridge that gap if you maybe wanted to move into a bit more of a sort of cosmic horror vibe because there's there's very much that sort of like feeling about the abalith, So, I think that's been our episode on the abalith, the eldritch fish-like horror from D anD. D We'll be putting a new monster poll up on Twitter shortly, so keep an eye out for that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, maybe tell us what you think of the Abeleth, maybe make some suggestions for future episodes, or just have a bit of a general chinwag, then you can leave us a voicemail message on Speakpipe. There's a link in the description of this show. Or you can send us an email to odddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care. Stay safe and keep gaming. Bye. So, can you think of any other ways you might be able to use the Abeleth in your game? Because I'm afraid no one goes to win <laughs> It's true.